0: Hello
1: and welcome to Read All About It. I'm Yuri Vitachi and uh, my guest presenter for one more week is Marshall Moore. As always, we will review two recent-ish novels and then go on to a classic. Uh, Marshall, what have you bought for us this week?
0: Okay, today I actually have uh, The Strange Library by Haruki Murakami, the very, very, very well-known Japanese author who didn't win the Nobel again this year. Oh, shocking. And uh, so The Strange Library is... His most recent new-ish book in English, he's actually just had another one reissued since this was released, but this is his like most recent totally new work in English, even though it's not new in Japanese.
1: It's brilliant. I, I always cheer when we get an author who actually lives in Asia, because so few authors do. So, uh, yes, you can make it rich and famous from here. Yes, you can. No, Monday, we might as well. But I know, right? <laughs> Tell me
0: about the strange library. I haven't read it. Okay, it's this amazing little book. Um, it was published eh, fairly recently, end of last year, and it's it's a little hard to explain. Actually, it's a very small book. It's not like one of his thousand-page novels, like the ones he wrote before it. It's a very small book. Uh, some call it a single short story. I've seen it called a novella. Um, so nomenclature is a bit of a challenge with it. But it's kind of like a very dark little fairy tale in a very Murakami-ish way, which a lot of people ought to understand what that means already because so many people read him. But it's a very Murakami story. It's quite short. Um, and the book itself, um well, for one thing, it's just been translated into English. It hadn't been prior to this. Um, it was originally published in Japanese back in like 2006 or 8. I want to say, Um, So a new translation, very good translation, I'm I'm given to understand. And it's about a boy who goes to the library to borrow a couple of books. And true to form for Murakami, uh, the library ends up being a prison. And he's directed downstairs to room 107, which is something that we'll, we'll come back to. And he's instructed that he's going to be put in jail, ball and chain around his leg, and he's told he has to memorize three books that are written in turkish and then once that happens, uh, the top of his head will be sawn off, and the librarian will eat his brain
1: does he Does, does he speak Turkish? No,
0: but this is a Murakami story he doesn't have to <laughs> wow
1: so um so this is not a children's book then.
0: I think that you could probably safely let your teenagers read it, and it wouldn't ruin their childhood. <laughs> I'm not sure I would give it to someone much younger than that right right
1: okay so it's a it's a strange is it like a parable or an allegory of some sort i don't
0: I don't want to say yes, I don't want to say no either mm-hmm. because Murakami is being murakami here um he's there are a lot of the themes that he works with uh alienation, loneliness, um, mysterious mazes, um, like the very thin barrier between this world and some parallel universe that has its own bizarre set of rules. So in some way, um, I think it's best to say it's really consistent with his overall body of work and that like he's exploring the themes that he likes to explore and probably his entire body of work is a comment on something and there's whole books about that, and <laughs> one day I'll finish reading them.
1: Uh, I mean, Murakami is uh, is celebrated in Asia, but um, uh, but he's he's still not a top bestseller. Um, how would you
0: how would you define him as an author? Um, well, I, he's gotten to be kind of a bestseller in a lot of countries. I don't know how well he's known in English, but like in Europe and other places, he actually is huge. Um, He's been writing these novels that are almost impossible to classify, where sometimes it's more like straight-up literary fiction, but there's always this kind of surreal, nostalgic, occasionally almost horrifying element to them. But a lot of the things he also does, um, he works a lot in this kind of surrealist, magic realist, perhaps, Style. He's approached science fiction a couple of times. So he's really, really hard to pin down. And it's more like his style where he's got this very almost banal, plain-spoken way of telling a story. But then the most bizarre stuff happens and it's all very matter-of-fact to the characters.
1: Yeah, I know he, he was sort of a cult author for many years. But now he's uh, considered a, a, a mainstream and a, and a homegrown mainstream author for for for, uh, for Asia. But tell me, um, uh, is it a fun read? It's
0: the initial, the initial impression it gives is being rather bizarre. Well, bizarre, but yeah, it's actually a lot of fun. I mean, first of all, the entire book is a beautiful object. It's the way that it's printed on heavy stock paper. Uh, the font is called typewriter, so it's quite similar to courier without being ugly. And then the illustration is done by Chip Kidd, who's an artist who's collaborated with Murakami on a number of his books. So it's physically a beautiful object to read. And the story, another thing that's uh, typical for Murakami is that he has a light touch so he can be writing about things that when you step back from it and kind of parse what you're reading, it's like, this is kind of horrifying. But then he does it so deftly that you don't realize the just how gently he's sticking his little ice pick into your brain. <laughs> well,
1: I don't want you to, uh,
0: we try to avoid
1: spoilers on this program, so I don't want you to tell me what happens in the end. But um, the uh, tell me more
0: about the, the boy who goes down to the strange library. Well, he's in some ways, he's a very typical Murakami character in the fact he's not even named. He's just a boy. He's a student. He's the student. um, And he's kind of a Murakami everyman character where there's this sort of loneliness around him. He lives with his mother. He's um, interested in, um, I can't remember the topic, something like books about shepherds or something completely random, which is also a very Murakami thing. Um, and he's been told to go to the library because you can find things in the library, of course. And he's just simply this average young Japanese guy caught in this bizarre parallel world that the author creates.
1: Mm-hmm. Does it, uh, is, it, is it satisfying? One of the risks of doing something a bit bizarre is that readers might not actually get what it's about. Is there another layer that we can penetrate?
0: Um, you know, I was before coming on, I, I did some research to see what reactions were like to the book, and they were somewhat mixed. There were people who really, really didn't get it. Um, I'm reluctant to try to read too much more into it because... Because this is a work of translation, it was written in Japanese, translated to English. Sometimes, when you're dealing with a book like that, you may not always have all of the references that would be evident to someone from that culture. So there may be more going on that I don't have access to because I'm not reading it in Japanese.
1: Right, right. And who's and who's the book for? Who do you recommend it for? Christmas is coming. Everyone, (laughs) except the ones who are so young that it might ruin their childhood. Can you uh, can you read a bit of the text because Murakami has such a beautiful, unusual
0: style, doesn't he? Sure, Um, I'll start at the beginning. So um, the library was even more hushed than usual. My new leather shoes clacked against the gray linoleum. Their hard, dry sound was unlike my normal footsteps. Every time I get new shoes, it takes me a while to get used to their noise. A woman I'd never seen before was sitting at the circulation desk reading a thick book. It was extraordinarily wide. She looked as if she were reading the right-hand page with her right eye and the left-hand page with her left. "'Excuse me,' I said. She slammed the book down on her desk and peered up at me. "'I came to return these,' I said, placing the books I was carrying on the counter." One was titled, How to Build a Submarine, the others, Memoir of a Shepherd. The librarian flipped their front covers back to check the due date. They weren't overdue. I'm always on time, and I never hand things in late. That's the way my mother taught me. Shepherds are the same. If they don't stick to their schedule, the sheep go completely bananas.
1: Yes, it sounds, uh, as you say, it sounds very plain, but yet there are just odd things in it, like reading one page of a book with one eye and the other page with the other eye. And uh, unlike his other books, like The the Wind-Up Bird Chronicle, which is a big fat novel, this is very different. In fact, I think we should describe it. The the book is a strange sort of flappy object with bits that turn upwards, bits that turn outwards. And uh, it's not like it's like it's almost like a toy. When you get it so I think it would be an actual fun object to play with, even if you couldn't read at all,
0: yeah, I think so too. I mean it's beautifully bound. The front cover has this sort of flap going over it, and then there's this other kind of pocket thing going on um and the color, the illustration, and it's magnificent,
1: and it's also a huge print too, so
0: well, yeah, you on know, the front anyway, yeah, the inside is a little. That's more readable. Yeah. So that was The Strange Library by Haruki Murakami. Not like anything else you've read this year, but I really, really do recommend checking it out.
1: Well, this week I've bought Death Sentence by David Lodge, uh, who's, a, who's a wonderful novelist. He's one of those rare novelists who. Um, who is funny and gets in the bestsellers and people make TV shows out of his books. But he's also on the Booker Prize shortlist. So he manages to be very clever uh, and uh, very literary writer. But it's also just enormous fun. Uh, his novels are, uh, are, are all great fun. And uh, Death Sentence came out um, quite recently. Uh, he, he also sort of alternates with uh, non-fiction books. But um, it's a, it's a play on death sentence, uh, but it's death sentence because it's the main character is an everyman character, just like the the student in the uh, Murakami book is an everyman character. So he represents just just us as we're as we're going through life and getting older. And uh, um, his characters always have a defect, and his defect is he's uh, he's gradually going deaf.
0: Interesting. Um... I used to be a sign language interpreter, so I have to ask, is he trying to learn sign language or how exactly is he coping with his hearing loss? Because that's a pretty traumatic thing when it happens to people. Uh, it, it is and he does all, all sorts of things to try and
1: uh, and get rounded uh, including and we have descriptions of uh, of uh, lip reading classes and of course there's lots of humor in it because he makes uh, uh, lots of, uh, uh, of of funny errors but the um, the story starts with him at a party and of course he can't hear the conversations because so much noise going on at the party and he's nodding at a young woman and talking he's a professor and she's some sort of graduate student uh And uh, then the next scene he goes home and he gets a phone call a few days later and it's her. And she says, well, where are you? You promised to come and see me. And he says, oh, right, he was just nodding. He had no idea what she was saying. So he just nodded and agreed to everything. And he apparently uh, agreed to go and see her. And, of course, he's married. So immediately you think, OK, professor, student, he's married, she's female and pretty and young, and he's an, an older professor. So you can just see the novel stretching out uh, before you. But none of those things happen. Now, we have a no-spoilers policy on this show, so I'm not going to tell you what does happen. But... Um, this is where David Lodge uh, um, shows his chops as a literary novelist because all the standard things you just think, OK, now I know what's going to happen next. They just don't happen or they happen in a different way or something else happens. And the result is just a delightful story that uh, is unpredictable uh, uh, all the way. Now, this is a, a rather a low temperature one because he's, he's getting older and he's deaf himself. So clearly he's, he's starting to, to write about his own life um, but um, i was just trying to think of a, a a portion of one of his books that sums up uh, his writing. And um, in each of his books, he's uh, he's, uh, he's he's an everyman character that represents the reader having some sort of shortcoming. And there's a beautiful passage in his uh, previous novel where he's describing having sex, or at least his 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 mistress is describing having sex with him and it's very sad because what happens is that uh, as they prepare he uh, he takes off his clothes and then he puts on his knee support and so he's standing there naked except for his knee support and uh, I've just got to read you this bit it's uh, it's so funny so this is the mistress uh, speaking I got the giggles as soon as I saw Lawrence putting on his knee support when we were preparing for our siesta. It's made from some spongy stretch fabric like they used to wear to make wet suits. It's bright red with a hole in it for his kneecap to poke through. It looked particularly funny when he had nothing else on. He always wears it when he and Sally have sex. When he put on an elasticated elbow bandage as well, I nearly had hysterics. He explained that he'd had a recurrence of tennis elbow lately and didn't want to take any chances. I wondered if he was going to put on anything else, a pair of shin pads, perhaps, or a cycling helmet. So, uh, you know, you've got this hilarious thing of, you know, he's getting older, he needs, a, he, needs a, he needs a bit of support for his elbow and his knee before he has sex. And uh, all the way through uh, through Death Sentence and, and in, indeed, all his uh, uh, David Lodge's books, you've got human infirmity creeping in so uh, uh well I'm a bit older than you Marshall but I keep saying yes 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 you know
0: well you know I have to say and I have to go there it kind of makes you wonder perhaps just between the lines what exactly they're about to get up to if he needs <laughs> a knee support and elbow <laughs> support as well right. they may be getting older but they're still in the game <laughs> right. that's right they're, they're, they're trying. Um, so,
1: yeah, so, so the deafness is really a, a metaphor for the infirmities that, uh, that infect us all here. Uh, you know, is there a marker for this sort of thing? Uh, yes, there is. His previous book, uh, Paradise News, was, uh, it was uh, a beautiful book. And people thought it's such a deep subject that it couldn't, uh, it couldn't be a hit. Again, it's an infirm person. It's, uh, it's a priest who's lost his literal faith in a literal heaven. So he's kind of broken hearted, you know, he's devoted his life to this idea and it's gone. And uh, then he gets a, a, an assignment to go to Hawaii and and the universe is laughing at him because everywhere in Hawaii is labeled paradise. You know, all the marketing material is, is welcome to paradise. So he's saying, you know, the universe hates me and uh you know then he discovers a deeper understanding of what heaven could mean uh it's not just a literal place above the clouds um maybe it's a concept maybe it's a thought maybe it just represents something in the afterlife is it literal is it just mean going to join the universal mind what does it mean so it's very deep and um the critics loved it but uh, nobody thought it would do well in fact it was a bestseller it was um it outsold jurassic um park which came out the same year so people do like these funny novels about real people having real problems like you've got a bad knee and you're you're trying to have sex and you know you might need a support and it might look
0: funny you might need to call an ambulance afterward (laughs) afterwards yes indeed so can we draw any connections between these two books we're discussing today It would seem unlikely, but
1: in fact, they both have these everyman characters uh, and they both have important scenes in libraries.
0: Libraries.
1: So, uh, yeah, so so Desmond, who is the older professor uh, um, uh, involved with this young student, um, he is horrified to find that uh, when he's looking up the subject they both share, somebody has written in the library book you know it's these underscored lines in the library book and he finds out it's 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 her this this student he knows and he is so deeply deeply upset you know prof- for a professor of literature you know writing in a library is like the ultimate crime uh, it's these little touches that uh, that 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 sing uh, to me because you know i know people like that to whom, you know, you could murder somebody and they'd think, oh, that's bad. And you could write in a library book or tear a page out of a library book. And they'd think, you know, it's that heinous crime that deserves the death penalty.
0: You know, I checked a book out of the library recently and it was was marked up quite badly by someone who I guess had had used it for a, a research project as well. And I was horrified. I mean, it's seriously like just disgusting to see. So I, I do get that.
1: I, I, th- I think for book lovers, it is a crime to, to to write on library books. Libraries are wonderful things, aren't they? Because they're physical spaces, but they also uh, uh, represent history. They've been libraries for millennia, and they represent knowledge. You're entering into a place of knowledge. So, um, so it's a lovely place to to uh, to set a, a book or a scene in a
0: book. It is actually. That's that's. The book that got me into Murakami in the first place is his novel Hard-boiled Wonderland and the End of the World, and it's told in two alternating points of view, one of which is set in a library of unicorn skulls. And so it's this parallel world that this man finds himself plunged into. And he eventually, if I remember the story correctly, becomes the librarian. And he's responsible for curating the library's collection of unicorn skulls.
1: Wonderful, One of my favorite kids' books, uh, reading to my kids, was called The Dad Library. And a kid gets annoyed with her dad and he goes to the dad library and takes out different dads to try them out. You know, and I told that to my kids and luckily they didn't say,
0: "Ooh, can we go there? (laughs) Sounds like a great book. I'm totally going to check this out later when I actually have time to read more books. And uh, I've been talking about a David Lodge book called Death Sentence. time now on Read All About It to talk about this week's classic, which would be 1984 by George Orwell. A wonderful book and very relevant to uh, this part of the world at this time of the century. And very
1: dark, which is saying a lot. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, I was having another look at it. I haven't uh, read it for years. But um, I was shocked to discover that um, they describe their society as socialism with English characteristics. You know, they say, they call it Ingsoc, but that stands for English socialism. Socialism, And that's exactly what the Beijing government is doing. It's calling its new system, which has nothing really to do with socialism, you know, socialism with Chinese characteristics. So, boy, George Orwell knew about, you know, today's China government, you know, in 1948 when he wrote it. Amazing.
0: Interestingly, so much of that book came from what was going on in Stalinist Soviet Russia And so here we have it today where we are seeing a lot of things like that happening again, whether it's stuff that's happening up in China or whether it's the US NSA spying on everybody and gathering crazy untold masses of information. Right. For for those
1: who haven't read it, 1984 is a book written in 1948 by by George Orwell and it's a science fiction novel. It's probably, you know, one of the first great dystopian novels. It's about a future society where the uh, the government uh, is watching everywhere, watching the the, the, the the um the, the The proletariat and the the different classes of workers and our hero's name's winston is being watched through a telescreen in his room a two way monitor and uh, everything is bugged and his job is to work in the in a sort of pro- propaganda role isn 't he uh, revising history and uh, it does sound so much
0: like modern china doesn 't it it does, and again not totally to bash China because we can bash America too and possibly Britain and a lot of other places. Um, The whole idea of just revising the past, I mean, look at Donald Trump's campaign. He seems to have want everyone to forget that he said back in, what year was that? That if he ever wanted to run for president, he would do it on a GOP ticket because they were stupider. <laughs>
1: right,
0: yes. And there was Ben Carson, another candidate,
1: who, uh, who said that the, the Jews should have had guns and then they'd have shot off the Nazis. You know, it's a complete absurd uh, rewriting of, of history. Um, so yes So uh, this this book is full of predictions And there are a lot of phrases from the book Aren't there like big brother
0: And two have, plus two equals five
1: Yeah they've just become common currency To, to, to all of us The thought police uh, 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 And this sort of thing um, but uh, as you say, uh, it wasn't entirely original. He, he he kind of borrowed the ideas, didn't he?
0: He did. A lot of that, like the the presence of Big Brother that we see throughout the book, really was actually modeled on Stalin. And then the historical revisionism, um, if I remember correctly, Stalin had a habit of doing that as well. Like there were posters of people, and then once they'd fallen out of political favor, they would be deleted from the posters. So there was quite a lot going on in 1948, or I think 46, 47, when he was writing it, um, that, well, again, here we are seeing that kind of thing happening again today, people disappearing up in our big neighbor to the north. <laughs> right. And it
1: wasn't entirely originally. He was. Uh, he admitted to being influenced by a, a Russian writer called uh, Zamyatin. Uh, who in turn was influenced by H.G. Wells and, um, and Jerome K. Jerome, the Three Men and a Boat writer, also wrote sci-fi on the side. So it does seem to be, it's really a deep thread of, uh, of sort of extreme rationalism in a sort of dogmatic sense. It's a fear of, of, of the, the humanity being lost uh, by 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 a sort of number based society where everybody has numbers instead of names and um, and and all the gray areas have disappeared out of society so it's a it 's a parable for all of us, i think isn 't it
0: right well, I think one of the things that 's most disturbing and this is by far the bleakest book i 've ever read, um, but one of the most powerful and the message in it is how banal evil can be, where we just buy into it and even when it's imposed upon us after a while. But it's like when you turn the water up gradually to boiling, but you don't really notice it's becoming hotter and hotter and hotter. And the way that it plays out is, you know, we're told we need these things in our societies, whether it's surveillance or new laws or the Patriot Act or something like that, for the benefit of the society. But the only people who are really benefiting are an elite who will do anything to anyone with impunity to... Mm -hmm. Continue benefiting.
1: Hmm. Actually, 1984 should be required reading for people in uh, in um, in Hong. And interestingly enough, I believe it's uh, it's available in Chinese in China in the mainland. So um, it's it's a, it's as if the uh, the authorities don't realise that there's this powerful document um, saying that you know you can't have this type of government where people don't have human rights, where people um, aren't allowed press freedom. And that document is there. And, and uh, who knows, it's probably on a few school curriculums there.
0: That I would have not seen that coming. Honestly, they have a problem with Ai Way and they allowed George Orwell to be published in translation. I'm going to be scratching my head for the rest of the day <laughs> thinking about that.
1: And uh, not only is it uh, full of meaning, but it's actually a good read, isn't it? I mean, it's in it's high up in every 100 best books Ever list, I think it's number six in the British best uh, reads list, uh, and it's a great story about a guy, and it's got love in it. It's about uh, Winston who, who who meets a girl who is also uh, hankering for a freer a freer society.
0: Right, it's a it's an amazing tragedy actually. If you just stand back and look at it from the perspective of a story, you have this poor Winston guy who is a sympathetic character. I mean, he's 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 kind of coming apart at the seams. Uh, he's in this terrible system, but you know he finds hope again when he meets Julia. They fall in love. They begin an affair, which of course goes horribly badly. No spoilers. But from just the standpoint of story, yeah, it's an amazing tragedy. It's a love story with you know set in these really extreme circumstances. So it people can come to it and enjoy it just for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only thing is, yeah, I would say is don't expect a happy ending. It's a it's a very
1: dark and uh, rather rather bleak novel. Uh, similar to or to Brave New World, isn't it? It's sort of this uh, this this darkness. So, yeah, those were written. That was that was in the thirties. This was in the forties, and here we are in twenty fifteen, and we should really be reading these
0: again. So, how would you recommend uh, selling Orwell to somebody who has maybe not read him for the first time? Maybe they're a younger reader. How would you make him sound interesting? Well, the funny thing is, of course, that the, the the hottest thing for the last four or five
1: years in uh, in young people's fiction has been dystopia, and you could say that uh, you know the Hunger Games, Divergent, uh, The Maze this, Runner, The Maze Runner, yeah, these are all the children of George Orwell, aren't they? In I a think that's, real way.
0: yeah, that's fair to say. I think you especially you see that in the Hunger Games books because they take so much from Orwell, and uh, all very un- unacknowledged as well. Uh, I, well, I think people can see it. I think that people like us who have read the Usually books and we've read it. Brave New World, we can completely see where this is coming from. And that was 1984 by George Orwell, our classic of the week. And our two new releases have been David Lodge's novel Death Sendence and Haruki Murakami's The Strange Library. And many thanks to Marshall for being our guest presenter for the
1: last couple of weeks. And Shushi will be back with us next week. See you on Sunday. <laughs>